The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. John Gibbons is with us for our weekly environment spot and I want to start with a really interesting study which I spotted during the week as well about methane apparently being 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. Uh, that's right, Matt. Good evening. Yeah, this is a well-known fact. Methane is a, it's a trace environmental gas. The one we tend to hear about, of course, is carbon dioxide, CO2. That exists in parts per million, 420 parts per million. Methane in much smaller quantities. It used to be pre-industrial methane. We had about uh, 600 parts per billion in the atmosphere and is a potent greenhouse gas. Now, that has increased, Matt, by threefold. It's now 1,900 parts per billion. So methane has gone from being a kind of a nowhere gas, a nothing gas, now to being quite a significant greenhouse gas. And the new study that you refer to, it's really interesting because it suggests that we're having much more complex problems than methane than we originally thought. What they've discovered, for example, is that, that global warming itself, rising temperatures are speeding up microbial activity and that in turn is causing, for example... Uh, wetlands and swamps to emit more methane. So that's number one. A second factor, which is a big surprise to researchers, is that because of the number of wildfires globally, wildfires dump huge amounts of carbon monoxide into the atmosphere. And carbon monoxide gobbles up another element called hydroxyl radicals. Sorry for the chemistry lesson today. And these hydroxyl radicals, they chew up methane and convert it back into CO2. Now, because of all the wildfires, methane is now staying at, uh, active in the atmosphere much longer than before. So what they're saying is we're getting a much bigger bounce, a much more dangerous bounce from our atmospheric methane yeah, than know, expected. This listener here says, oh stop now, methane dissipates so quickly it's really of no concern. Well, I wish that were the case and I'll, I'll give your listener the numbers on that. Over a 100 year uh, time frame methane has 28 times the impact of CO2. Over a 20 year time frame it's 82 times that of CO2. So if you consider that to be negligible, I'm afraid your, your maths uh, need a little bit of revision. But hold on, would that not suggest then instead of creating, concentrating on carbon emissions, which we spend a lot of our time that we should be really starting and concentrating far more on methane? Yes, I mean there is an argument, of course unless we get a grip, Matt, on fossil fuels which are driving CO2 well, we're done for. However, methane is sort of creeping up the inside rail here as a, as a gas that hasn't received the attention that it deserves. And for example, of course it's a naturally occurring gas. About 40% of methane is from natural sources like wetlands, but 60% is been driven by human sources. These are number one, uh, emissions from fossil fuel exploration uh, and ruminant cattle in particular and from, from human landfill. So these are the big sources of methane. And it is it is a dangerous gas. It It has a very nasty short-term impact. So if, for example, we were trying to achieve our Paris uh, goals of keeping to under 1.5, the best way, the number one best way to do it, Matt, in fact, would be to go after methane because you may cut CO2 emissions, but it takes years, even decades, for to get the benefit. However, if you cut methane today, within 10 years, you will begin to get the benefit. Yeah, but the way of cutting methane in Ireland would be to go after the cattle herd. That's not going to happen. Well, that's obviously the case. Uh, it, we have a huge issue in Ireland with a, a very large ruminant herd. That's uh, cattle and sheep. And they're huge methane producers. It's just a, a part of, of the process, of the digestive process of uh, ruminant animals. And they're a very large contributor. And again, in Ireland, I know we're only a small country, but we're disproportionate polluting. And for example... Uh, the methane from our ruminants leads to the agriculture sector in Ireland having over 
almost 40% of our total national emissions. And for a really small sector of our economy, it's an incredibly large impact. And that impact, unfortunately, is going up instead of down. So, And it is problematic. And without cuts to the total number of ruminant animals, there's no other way of doing it. We've looked at all manner of tweaks and efficiencies, but none of them d- deliver what we need. And that is an overall reduction in the number of ruminants in Ireland. Listener says, are you trying to say a thousand cows are worse than two aircraft? Go away with yourselves. This is a NWO agenda bull. Well, um, bulls, New yes. World Order. Yeah, the New World Order. Was that an 80s band, Matt? I, 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 I think I that had a couple. New Order. That was New Order. I had a couple of their albums, yeah. But, like, let's be serious. I, I, I know we'll, we'll always get people like that on Twitter. But this is a serious conversation. CO2 is the number one greenhouse gas. Methane is closing at number two. And it's really, as I said, it's come up the inside track. It's a really, really dangerous gas that we've got to, we've got to get a grip on. Okay, but if you were to do that, I mean... Do you, would you expect everyone to go vegan, vegetarian, or do you like the idea of sort of industrially produced synthetic animal free meat? Well, this idea was floated in the, in the, in the Irish Times today by Professor Hannah Daly, who's an energy specialist from UCC. And she put forward the notion that, for example, cultured meat, as it's called, uh, which was meat basically developed, grown, if you like, in a petri dish from, uh, animal cells. So there's no actual animals involved. So be, you, you essentially take it from the field to the factory. And this process, it has been done in small scale, and I was looking into it earlier today, Matt, and for example, some of the large meat, gi- meat companies like Cargill, they've been putting hundreds of millions into this. They're hedging their bets because they recognise that the footprint or the hoofprint, if you like, of the global livestock industry is so massive that we're going to have to cut back heavily on it. But people like meat. Now, I like meat. However, I've been trying all the meat-free alternatives, the Beyond Meats and so on. They're okay. They're not bad up to a point. Are they as good as a steak? No, they're not. However... If you make synthetic, and I I use the word synthetic advisedly because, Matt, this is being made from the same material that an actual cow is producing it from. So it's, it's from, it's a cellular product. If you make that and you get your, you get your texture right and you get your taste right, essentially you are eating meat, except you're not meeting, you're not eating it through that process. You see, maybe it's part of the problem that we're overproducing food. I have in the latest Magnified podcast, I have uh, the two women who are on Food Cloud, Evie O'Brien and Eastolt Ward, are fascinating on this whole subject of food waste. Phenomenal amounts. I mean, we talk about things like packaging of food and the rest of it and whether that is actually wasteful, but it's actual the food that is actually produced and distributed, which is then never eaten or which is leftovers, just strikes me as been the real issue that needs to be actually dealt with. It's one of them, Matt. It's reckoned along the, along the way from production, distribution and consumption, we're losing maybe a third up to a half. But in a way, a lot of that is unavoidable. You look into your fridge, people buy things, they put them in the fridge, they use them, they use some of them, they throw them out. How do you avoid that? You know, you're really talking about, you can certainly minimise it, but the notion that we can eliminate food waste, unfortunately, uh, I think is, is, is hopeful and it's not the only issue here. Okay, well, that uh, magnified podcast is available wherever you get your podcast, and we will play an extract from it on tomorrow evening's program. Listener wants to know why did that man ignore the pollution from airplanes? You were one man who never ignores the pollution <laughs> from airplanes, as regular listeners will know. Indeed, and I think your 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 interlocutor, Porgo Kaja, on Tuesday will tell you that I do not ignore the emissions from airlines. 
Uh, Rory, Roy, sorry, Roy and Carlos says anaerobic digestion is the solution to meat and problem. Yeah, uh, anaerobic digestion is is one of these things where it sounds like it's a good idea, where you you capture, uh, for example, some of the methane from slurry. The problem is it's very difficult to nail down fugitive methane emissions. If you get fugitive emissions above about two to three percent, uh, burn that type of digester then becomes more polluting than its equivalent in coal. So methane is a tricky, tricky gas, Matt. Okay. Lester says, lock me in an airtight room with 20 cars for the night, let them fart away, or lock me in the same room as a running car. The running car room, I'll be dead in a few hours, but the room in the cows, I'll be alive and well in the morning. There's a fuel on those eyes. Yeah. The good news, Matt, is if you lock him in a room with an electric car, he'll be grand in the morning. Okay, but... I'm not sure it's necessarily relevant, is it, what goes up into the air and the sky as to what you'd have in a locked barn? No, I mean, we're we're mixing up different gases here. For example, what will kill you in a locked room with a car, of course, is carbon monoxide. Right, that is a different gas, but they're all they're all part of the carbon family. You, you've annoyed a lot of people here because then just listening in. What about all the farmers who farm beef and who try to make a living off it? Sure, the first thing, as any beefer or indeed uh, sheep farmer today, listen to us will know. Um, both beef and, and sheep farming are uneconomic. Neither of them can, can exist without substantial uh, intervention in the form of subsidies and so on. The question really is, what is the best thing to do, number one, with our land? And number two, should we be instead looking towards other types of employment, for example, in ecotourism and in nature restoration? And this, by the way, Matt, is not wishy-washy stuff. This is the way of the future, and this is where proper, well-paid jobs, and who knows rural Ireland better than the farmers who actually live there? And would they, if, if they can't make money out of beef, would they not be better being paid properly, a proper salary, to get involved in ecological protection? We've run out of time, but just one final one to finish. What did you make of all the private jets arriving down at Shannon Airport for the J.P. McManus Pro-Am Golf? I think the Shannon Airport boasted about taking 30 of them in. I mean, how many people would be in each of the jets, I wonder? Yeah, you're probably looking at, at three or four, uh, maybe, maybe five or six uh, per jet. And yeah, I mean, look, this comes back to the Wild West approach that we have here, and that is we're not regulating emitters. And the biggest emitters in the world, of course, are rich people. And unfortunately, rich people, not only are they not paying their share of tax, a la J.P. McManus, also they're the number Sorry, one... he says he pays his tax where he is due to pay his tax, where he is resident. Let's be clear for legal <laughs> reasons on that, that he is actually following the laws. No, I agree with you. I guess it's not here in Ireland. And uh, but, but I suppose the situation is that, that let's say, people of a certain wealth level are avoiding paying their share of tax but worse than that Matt they are pro rata vastly the world's largest contributors to carbon pollution Don't they need to be addressed before we start talking about higher airfares for ordinary income people who a lot of them were on to me complaining saying that your prescription the other night for you know dissuading people from flying it's fine if the rich will continue mm. to fly but people in lower incomes will have their holidays and various other things they enjoy ruined that they'll be the ones who suffer I think it's a really good point and I think the only way to deal with this matter with equity is the other notion which I'm delighted you're giving me the chance to reintroduce and that is we all need carbon rations that means you and me the same as JP McManus get the same equivalent rations say 1,500 kilometres a year that you can do at a fair price. If, on the other hand, you feel that you're so important that you have to fly 30 or 40 times a year, well, you should be penalised really, really heavily for that. So there is a concept, Matt, called the polluter pays. At the moment, we reward them. We're way over time. John Gibbons, thank you as ever. See you next week. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.